Welcome to the second episode of Ready, Set, Debt. Today we'll take a closer look at the ATO, Australia's largest creditor. With rising rates and over-leveraged assets, insolvency is expected to rise, but the ATO has remained dormant for the past two years. We're seeing the first signs of movement since the pandemic now, so what's in store for us? By the end of this episode, you're going to know why insolvencies didn't increase with the stop of JobKeeper and who the second largest creditor in Australia is. We're even going to cover an update to credit reports in the coming years. So hang around while we talk to Adam Priner for his insight into the ATO. Adam is a managing director of Integra Restructuring and Insolvency with over 15 years of experience in the insolvency industry. Thank you for being here with us today, Adam, and for joining us in discussing the ATO. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Thank you for the introduction, Ulrika. So um, as you said, my name is Adam Priner. I'm the Managing Director of Integra Restructuring and Insolvency. So I am an asset registered liquidator and a chartered accountant with over 15 years experience in the insolvency and restructuring industry. So my first job was in Melbourne, which is where I'm from, at a small insolvency firm. I later moved to Sydney. So I've worked on a number of corporate and personal insolvency appointments in both states. So the types of appointments that I sort of deal with, court liquidations, creditors voluntary liquidations, voluntary administrations, receiverships, deeds of company arrangement, and small business restructuring. Um, and I was also the first small business restructuring practitioner in Australia. Uh, with the first appointment happening in February 2020. That's great. Uh, you've got quite a list of achievements there. The one I like the best is that you chose to move from Melbourne to Sydney. Ouch. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about the ATO because you're on the front line there. We always seem to think that, you know, insolvency practitioners, um, accountants, you know, seem to know a lot more or seem to have a closer relationship with the ATO. Is that true? Um... Probably not true exactly. Um, a lot of the information we sort of get is from publicly available information. There's sort of no inside hot tips um, that the ATO sort of sends us. As always, nothing that we talk about constitutes as financial or legal advice. Please always talk to your advisors if you need advice relating to your particular situation. So I want to jump back to what our podcast is all about today, which is the ATO. How do you think, Adam, the pandemic has influenced the work of the ATO? Um, so first, just, just leading off your disclaimer, um, I don't work for the ATO um, and this is just my opinion of the current insolvency market uh, and the actions that have or will be taken by the ATO to collect outstanding debt. Um, so in terms of your question, how the pandemic has affected the, inf has influenced the work of the ATO. So at the start, of the pandemic in around March 2020, the ATO ceased the majority of tax collection activities. So those activities included company winding up applications, personal bankruptcy sequestration orders, and this provided some relief to companies and individuals during lockdowns when some businesses were unable to remain open and some employees were not able, even able to work. And I know that caused a significant decline in the number of insolvency appointments. Is that what you were seeing as well? 
Yeah, so in, in terms of the amount of inquiries, just going to speak for myself, but I'm assuming this has also occurred with a lot of other insolvency practitioners where a lot of directors just weren't seeking advice when they were having cash flow difficulties, especially if their businesses weren't even trading or weren't able to trade due to COVID-19 lockdowns. And I think that's just because there was just no pressure from the ATO and other creditors to deal with their outstanding debts. There was also lots of support, both from the federal government and, and state governments to keep businesses trading. And of course, one of that was that big stimulus package called JobKeeper. Can you tell us a little bit about whether you think it was just JobKeeper that had the impact or was it a range of other things as well? Yeah, so I think like yourself and, and like a lot of other people, we sort, we sort of had this prediction that it was JobKeeper that was keeping companies afloat. But I don't think that was the only the only measure that uh, was keeping companies open and keeping um, indi individuals away from bankruptcy. So in March 2020, there was a number of temporary changes to insolvency laws and, and this assisted with decreasing the number of insolvency appointments. So that was the change to the statutory demand threshold, um, which was increased tenfold from $2,000 to $20,000. Mm -hmm. So if a company receives from a creditor a statutory demand, that they must comply with that statutory demand. And if they don't, that company can be wound up. So because of that increase, um, insolvency appointments had just decreased. Um, there was also a, a increased period of when a creditor has to comply with a statutory demand and that increased from the usual 21 days to six months and another large change was that directors were not personally liable for insolvent trading if debts were incurred in the ordinary course of business so normally if a company goes into liquidation a liquidator can start an insolvent trading action against a director in his or her personal capacity and that and that was put on hold I was talking to a lot of my colleagues in insolvency who also thought that there were going to be a lot more insolvencies and companies going under once those changes reverted back to normal. But I believe that didn't happen because there were more stimulus and there were further support that the government had to the economy. Yeah, so it, it, it wasn't just the changes to the insolvency legislation that, that sort of decreased the number of insolvency appointments. There was also a raft of other measures that resulted in a decrease of insolvency appointments so that they include things like federal and state government grants, especially in Victoria and New South Wales, which had the longest lockdowns. There was the ceasing of creditor collection action by the ATO and also a creditor who also does a lot of winding up applications against companies, uh, workers' compensation, normal insurer, state government tax departments also put their recovery actions on hold. There was rent relief for tenants. That could be rent waivers, rent reductions, payment delays. And there was also tenant protection from evictions as well. So it, it can't just be pinned down to JobKeeper. Mm -hmm. There was lots of different measures which resulted in... Uh, in a decrease in insolvency appointments. That's really interesting as well because you're right, with ATO as the largest creditor not collecting, and this is actually quite a surprise to me, Workers' Comp being another huge creditor that winds up companies, I did not expect that. So with both of their stats not adding to the tally, they weren't there come the reverting back to normal situations. Exactly. So if you sort of look at the court winding up, list. Normally it's filled with applications both from the ATO and workers' comp uh, that 
list was almost empty for the past two years just because one it was the change of the insolvency laws and two it was internal policies just to not proceed with winding up applications against um, these companies that weren't paying their debts. Mm -hmm. As an insolvency practitioner would you think that there's a more effective policy route than JobKeeper or would you think that what was essentially a wage subsidy was the right way to go? Oh, um, well, that one I think is a difficult one to answer just because there were so many different assistance measures in place that it's difficult to pinpoint onto just one measure to sort of say it was JobKeeper that reduced insolvencies or it was the state government grants that reduced insolvencies. But I think one of the largest impacts that has reduced insolvency figures is the ATO not proceeding with the usual debt collection actions. And that's really interesting. You know, I also saw in private lending, for example, a lot of colleagues that work in that space were also taking up a lot more deals and refinancing and restructuring companies that were facing trouble. So that stopped companies going into insolvency and being wound up. They were able to be saved by the liquidity of the private debt market because there was a lot of international investment as well coming into Australia at that time to invest in property debt. So that was really interesting. And I also think that because there were low interest rates, there was more incentive not to go to bankruptcy and not to be insolvent. You might as well keep yourself alive and borrow more uh, and buffer yourself moving forward. And in, in terms of lending, would you lend to a company with a significant amount of ATO debt uh, that would have to be repaid? Yeah, personally, I would as long as the cash flow position looked strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that there's got to be an exit strategy at the end of the day. And the worst thing I could do is sign a borrower up for a facility that unfortunately needs to go speak to Adam at the end of it. So we want to make sure that when a borrower comes into our facility, they're able to repay it and that if they do have a huge outstanding tax debt, it's more strategic than it is something that they did not manage or, you know, did not consider or keep in mind. Yeah, especially um, with, with certain industries, which, which just weren't able to trade. If you've got a pub during a lockdown, if you've got a music festival, it's just not able to happen. Mm -hmm. And we were willing to look at that. In fact, one of the most specialized assets we did consider was a rural hotel. Mm -hmm. would you believe because they were struggling in that time and a lot of different lenders wouldn't touch them because they would say that these certain types of borrowers are just heading down the path to insolvency however we could see that there was going to be a bounce back of tourism people still want to travel and australia is a great travel destination for australians so with lockdown on international travel we knew that australians are going to be looking for alternatives within the country to invest in for their holidays so for us from that perspective if there was a good operator and they managed to keep themselves afloat during the pandemic for the most part and have come to us for finance showing us a strong picture as strong as it can be at that point at any at any rate then we were willing to help them and help them move past that so now that we're in a different environment you know we've seen a bit more of how the economy has been unfolding especially with the rba's three rate rises cash rate up to 1.85 percent do you expect insolvencies to start accelerating now with these rising interest rates 
Uh, yes, and it's it's not just down uh, to the rising interest rates as well as it's been reported. We've got we've got inflation, we've got increased oil prices, we've got increased supply costs, etc. So we, we've already seen um, an increase in insolvency appointments, almost at pre-COVID levels. So almost back to that level that they were at in 2019, and we're going to see a slow increase over the next 12 months, and that's going to be due to the eight increasing their recovery activity and also the potential of further interest rate rises which are going to squeeze the solvency position of companies and also individuals. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely right and also one thing that's underestimated as well is the shock impact of mortgages once the fixed term or the honeymoon period ends on these low rate mortgages. So I think a lot of people are going to be unprepared for the jump in interest rates even two to three years from now when their fixed price term ends on their three year, two year fixed terms. So that's going to be really interesting how they navigate that, how every household navigates that to be honest. Mm. When is the ATO going to start recovering tax debt, Adam? That is the million dollar question. Okay, I think that could be the $34 billion question. Because that is the, yes, that is the amount of tax debt that is currently outstanding. That, that figure is a few months old, so it, it could even be higher than that. And the, the ATO has actually commenced their tax recovery action after it's been put on hold for almost two years. Wow. So what are some of the signals you're seeing that is showing the ATO commencing this action? Okay, so the ATO has started a softer approach instead of an aggressive approach to collect tax debt. And that's by warning company directors that a director penalty notice will be issued on them if they don't pay tax and lodge outstanding tax returns. So the ATO, I believe it was a few months ago, issued over 50,000 letters to company directors, just letting them know if, if you don't pay your tax, if you don't lodge your outstanding returns, you will receive a director penalty notice. So if you're not sure what a director penalty notice is, that's when the ATO will issue you a notice and that notice must be complied with within 21 days. Otherwise, you are liable for the PAYG, GST or superannuation guarantee charge of the company in your personal capacity. So it's no longer just an ATO debt that's just attached to a company. It now becomes your liability. That's huge. That is huge. That is huge. So if you get a director penalty notice, you really should be speaking with your solicitor or an insolvency practitioner, or even better, speaking to the ATO. That helps. And the ATO really wants compliance. They, they're really pushing for companies and individuals with tax debt to speak to them instead of avoiding them. Sure. And did they only send these director penalty notice warnings to directors and companies with over 100 grand in tax debt? Or uh, No, it wasn't restricted to the amount of tax debt. I believe the ATO acts on compliance levels as well. I think there was something though attached to that 100 grand amount for the ATO. There was something that happens. Yeah, so that's not directly related to director penalty notices. That is related to disclosing tax debt information uh, that's over $100,000 to credit reporting bureaus. So that is new required legis legislation that the ATO has been using. Mm -hmm. So if you have tax debts over $100,000, the ATO has the power to report to credit reporting bureaus, such as Creditor Watch, to note on the credit reporting bureaus system that a company has an outstanding 
Pastet and I'm sure lenders such as yourself mm -hmm. will be looking closely at company searches to have a look at any ATO notifications. Definitely. In fact, it's going to save us a lot of trouble as well when we do our due diligence on our borrowers. If we can see this amount that is there and outstanding, ideally, we want to also have borrowers that do engage with their creditors. And I think if people forget that the ATO is a creditor and they do owe this sum of money and it's just sitting there, we, I can take an inference or sometimes, at least not with all borrowers, as always the exception, but for most borrowers, if you're neglecting your tax debt, you're going to potentially neglect a private lender that's also going to lend you money. I want to just see a transparent relationship between the borrower and ourselves and also with how they're running their business with respect to the ATO, knowing that the ATO could come and change things for them and for us. So the ATO has been publicly warning taxpayers to engage. Uh, how firm are they going to go? Because, I mean, they're sending letters, but letters aren't that threatening if you don't know the consequence. That's, that's true. So because they've only started their recovery action, it's going to take a few months to sort of get to the level of the ATO commencing the winding up proceedings. So they've already started the winding up proceedings against companies for tax debts, uh, but the level of winding up applications uh, by the ATO against companies hasn't reached pre-COVID levels. And the estimate is it's gonna take around 12 months to sort of get to those levels of where we were pre-pandemic. So you're gonna see the insolvency numbers rise week by week, month month by month. So the ATO is stressing if you receive correspondence, you receive phone calls to contact them. Definitely. Don't avoid. Okay. I think that as long as the ATO prefers to work, work with the taxpayers rather than pursue them too aggressively to begin with, that will give a lot of taxpayers plenty of time to take action and respond before worrying about the consequences of personal liability. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your knowledge and expertise, Adam, especially when it comes to the black box that is the ATO. I learned two really cool things today. One, I didn't realize that workers' comp insurance was one of the largest creditors as well. The second thing was that I didn't realize that if you do not respond to the ATO's director penalty notice, you could be personally liable for superannuation, PAYG, as well as the company's tax debt. That's quite shocking, but I'm glad I know now. It's good. It's good to know. It's important to know. Yeah. Based on everything we've discussed today, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to email me. I will share them with Adam and together we'll just put out a blog that answers all those questions. We will also have a summary of all the topics we discussed in an article that you can read and share around. So please do. And Adam, tell us where everyone who enjoyed listening to your dulcet tones can find you. Sure, sure. Okay, so um, if you're interested in small business restructuring, um, you can check out if your company is eligible because there's certain eligibility criteria you need to meet. So you can visit smallbusinessrp.com.au and also you can visit Integra Restructuring and Solvency's website, which is intri, which is intri.com.au. Thank you once again, Adam, for speaking with us today. We hope today's chat has been enlightening and opened the lid on the inner workings of the ATO and its path moving forward. For business owners especially, it's something to pay attention to because we're going to see a lot more activity in this space. I'm Ulrika Lobo and this has been Ready, Set, Debt. Catch you next week.